You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. All right, so today we are joined by Mr. Mike Yoder. And Mike is the founder of Equip for Growth, a really cool company that helps uh, businesses, business leaders, organizational leaders become more efficient, become more effective, and ultimately become more profitable. Mike, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us today. You bet. Appreciate having me, Mark. It's awesome. So, Mike, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love for, let's just start off by talking a little bit about your background. Tell us uh, who Mike Yoder is and what has kind of led you to, to this point in your career. Awesome. I, I'd love to. So, um, started off, uh, I, I from Indiana, right? And so went to Purdue University, got an engineering degree, uh, electrical engineering degree, um, came out of school, not really sure. I grew up in kind of a smaller uh, industrial uh, farm town. And um, so I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but I got a college education and, and it afforded me a great job. Um, I came out and I worked for Johnson Controls uh, first, a rather large company, a Fortune 150 company at the time. A great job and um, spent a little time with them and kind of was really bored. Um, thought something was wrong with the company. It wasn't the right place for me. And so I went to another company, uh, Siemens Energy and Automation, right? So another small company, right? They were a Fortune 100 company. And uh, again, a wonderful job working with wonderful people. I, um, I, I got to call on some great accounts. Miller Brewing uh, Engineering Headquarters were in my territory. Uh, met some really great people there. Um, and, uh, you know, just was way above my league. I'm a 24-year-old something here and, and talking to these, uh, these people that uh, uh, ran the engineering department for uh, Miller Brewing. So just had some great uh, experiences. But again, um, uh, was I, I, bored is the most technical term I can use for it. I just, I ran out of steam in these jobs and I thought something was wrong. And so I went through what I call my pre-midlife crisis because I was only about 25 or 26 at the time. Um, I got my ear pierced, I sold my car, got a Jeep, and I was painting houses to make a living for about a six-month sabbatical to just kind of go, what do I want to do? And uh, it was coming out of that break that I, I met two guys that had started a small business. They were entrepreneurs. And, uh, um, you know, they were doing some software stuff, and they said, hey, Yoder, go knock on doors and sell vaporware, you know, just solutions, warehouse management solutions. This is when the barcodes and uh, scanning equipment were just taking off. And so I thought, great, I'll, I'll do that. So <laughs> I went and knocked on doors for a few months and sold a few systems and we were trying to build them and we were realizing that we weren't making money at custom software. And uh, we then said, hey, um, we can print little barcode labels for libraries, call on them. So I thought, okay. So I started calling uh, libraries and asking them if they wanted to buy our barcode labels. And one day I had a conversation with a gal and she's like, yeah, we haven't, we haven't um, you know, uh, put the labels or barcodes on our collection yet. Would you be able to sell smart labels? And I said, just a second, ma'am. Hey, Jeff, do we do smart labels? And he said, sure we do. And I said, okay, yes, ma'am, we do smart labels. And she said, great, come out tomorrow. And we'll work through some numbers and see if there's something we can, you know, give me a quote or something. I get off the phone and I say, Jeff, what's a smart label? And he says, I have no idea, but figure it out. Um, and so fast forward, we, uh, we took over a bunch of market share. In about two or three years, we grew that to 
a million in sales. I had two people working the phones. I built up this telemarketing system. I was an engineering grad from Purdue, a farm kid from Indiana. I had never had any marketing or sales training. And I just kind of taught myself how to listen to the customer and how to communicate with them and, um, and put this together. And we got to a million in sales selling little two cent labels, right? So uh, landed some really big contracts with some large libraries. Uh, University of Illinois and Champaign-Urbana was one of them. And they were at the time were the fourth largest library in the country. So just a really neat experience. Um, I went on from there to um, be a part of as kind of the number two person and or starting a company. Um, I, I, I was involved with about four to six of these different little adventures. I'm trying to go off the top of my head here. I think it's five actually. Um, but uh, I love to come in, start, fix, build, grow, get it going, right? And um, so what I learned is that, that, that I was an entrepreneur, this word that we get, uh, yeah, I guess it has a lot of meanings. And and in today's times, we often think of the entrepreneurs, say the Jeff Bezos, right, of, of Amazon, these these large things, large companies. But um, you know, there's an entrepreneurial spirit, whether someone starts a company or sometimes um, they're the leadership team and they have that spirit of ownership of hey, let's grow something, let's do something that's that's pretty crazy and and and, and that we can just kind of make our own. And so that's the journey I've been on for the last 25 years. And um, at the end of that journey, um, well, I'll just leave it at that. That's my background. That got me to where I am today okay. uh, is just learning that that's what I do and do best and love to do. So Mike, you started um, your, your company equipped for growth. And so I know that you have a strong you know, operations background, strong sales background. And uh, you, you took a point a few years ago, took a little bit of a shift to really dedicate yourself to this profession. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your, your company, Equip for Growth, and how you made that transformation. Well, it, it came like this after, I guess it was about 24 to 25 years of, of being a person that was um, building companies, right? Some were small, like me and four other people we started. Some were mature with 200 employees, and I was, you know, the COO or someone on the leadership team, right, helping to build and grow those companies. Um, I, uh, well, really, I read a book, right, the, the book Traction by Daniel Wickman, but I got to a place where I discovered something that would allow me to teach others, right? And so many times, you know, we kind of make fun of us consultants. Hey, those who can do, do. Those who can't teach, right? Um, I'll take it. Bring it on. Uh, I love teaching more. Um, I, I like to work with uh, multiple uh, teams, and I like to see them succeed. Uh, what I discovered in those 24 years was that uh, the business side of it is not as exciting to me as the people side, helping to see the people succeed and grow. And I don't mean that glibly. I mean, it, it's not that I'm better than someone else. It's just that's what really fires me up. And so um, in reading the book Traction uh, that talks about this entrepreneurial operating system, this framework, and seeing how uh, simple it made what I had worked so hard at doing for 24 years in these different opera, uh, different adventures, um, I saw an opportunity to be able to take that and work with different teams of people. And so that's how Equip for Growth started. Um, and that was, I think, uh, March of like 2017 is when I formally was doing those kinds of things. Um, I had built 
uh, a leadership development program where I would just help people become great leaders of themselves um, through this program so they could then lead others. I had written that um, back in like 2014. So really technically that's when I started Equip for Growth, but um, didn't hang a shingle out and say, hey, I'm gonna burn the boats and go out and teach people until 2017. Well, we're huge believers in EOS and the entrepreneur operating system. As a matter of fact, that's how you and I connected, you know, a few yeah. years back. And so if you wouldn't mind, just if you would take 60 seconds and tell us what is EOS for folks that may not be familiar with the, with traction, with the book traction or what the entrepreneur operating system is. Can you, can you tell us a little bit? Yeah. 60 seconds is tough, but I like that challenge. Um, so I'll say it this way. It, it's a framework. Um, so let me back up. Um, so typically works best in privately held companies in that two to 150 million revenue range, say 10 to 250 employees. It, it will work in, in micro enterprise and solopreneurs. I, I helped coach people use these tools there, but that's kind of the heartbeat of, of what this system was built for this framework. Um, when you get into larger corporations and um, publicly held companies, um, it, it's a little bit more sophisticated there. And there's some other programs I think that help those folks better um, in that scenario. Uh, so, so that's the focus, that entrepreneurial business in that, um, you know, that sweet spot of say 10 million to, to 50 million where we want to grow. So, so helping those folks, it's a framework to help people kind of overcome some key frustrations. So I say it this way, I help folks move from frustration to freedom right? Um, those frustrations typically are in about four categories, one being that of people. So communication, people aren't understanding me, right? So these owners are going, man, I just can't get my folks to understand me or my customers or my vendors, right? There's engagement. Why won't people engage? There's just people stuff, right? So that's one of the big areas of frustration that, that this framework helps with. The second one is that of control, I hesitate to use that word. I don't know that we're ever in control, but that part of, of regaining command of the ship. So I'm not at the whims of the market or my vendors or my employees or my customers. I'm literally directing the ship and getting back to that place because so often owners, entrepreneurs, they, they either bought or started this company with this vision in mind. And man, we just are not there and I'm, I'm losing control. I have no freedom in this. The third one is just profit. Simply, there's not enough of it. We're not running efficient. And the fourth one is that feeling of being stuck. Um, we just keep hitting a ceiling. That's the principle we call, we call just hitting the ceiling principle. Um, but helping them get unstuck from that and figure out what are the things that are holding us back because they've tried everything. They've read books, they've went to seminars and they've, got, they've enlisted this consultant and it hasn't worked. Um, those are the folks right there that have those frustrations. This framework helps them to um, kind of dumb things down and simplify it and uh, help them to break through that ceiling and, and overcome those frustrations. So Mike, whenever I think of EOS, so I think it's similar to, to how it's even positioned a lot of times is that it's an operating system, you know, so just yeah. like, uh, you know, EOS is an operating system for small to medium sized businesses. Mm -hmm. All of our phones, all of our laptops, all of our tablets have operating systems as well. They have these different processes and rules and procedures. And um, from Partneronomics perspective, we have constructed an operating system that we call the SPLM, Strategic Partner Leadership Model. And so, you know, there's a lot of different 
parallels, I guess, between, well, really with any type of operating system, whether it's a project management operating system, a small business operating system, strategic partnering operating system. What I'd like to do is I'm going to kind of pose some different questions or topics for you and um, just let us know from your experience in working with dozens and dozens of different companies, you know, how those play into play into the success equation. You sure. just mentioned the word vision. Uh, right. So let's start there. Sure, uh, sure. What does it mean to, to have a vision or for an entrepreneur or an, an executive to have a, a vision or a company vision? And why is it so important? Well, well first to answer that, Mark, I want to clarify that because, um, you know, in the consulting world, right, in, in the business world, we talk about mission, vision, purpose, cause, all of these things. And so um, in our world, we try to simplify it. So for this discussion, I'm going to simplify it to say the vision is our direction, right? It's this direction. And, and we literally break it down into saying it's who we are, right? And it's what we do. And it's why we do it. And then it's kind of where we're going. So it's more than a statement. It's several components in our world that go into vision, right? And I think partneronomics is similar to that. It's not just a statement. It's kind of identifying what's the vision we need to have as a company. And then as you're engaging in this strategic partnership, what's the vision for this outcome? And how, do they, how does it align for both companies, right? Um, so that leads us to why it's so important, whether it's in a strategic partnership, it's our company in general, if we don't know who we are, what it is that we do really well, and, and why we do it, and then where we're going, if we don't know those things, good luck. You know, it's kind of that whole phrase, if we're aiming for everything, we'll hit nothing, right? We just, it's random. And so, um, so that's, that's the philosophical reason, right? Now, practically, uh, there's an amazing thing that happens when people are aligned. Now you've got to see this in the, in the strategic partnership world, right? When two companies come together and they are aligned, they can overcome all kinds of obstacles. Whereas when we're not aligned, the first obstacle ends up blowing the partnership up, right? Or making uh, negative uh, feelings and attitudes about it. So, um, the practical, the first practical thing is alignment for everyone. So we know where we're going and what we're doing. Um, this then leads to uh, productivity. And this is kind of a weird one, but listen, if I know I, I'm John, I'm over here welding and I know the vision of the company and, and, and yeah, it's some of that stuff out there I don't care about, but to a degree, I know they know where they're going. These leaders, I know we, we've got a direction. I know how what I do when I do this well today, right now, how it contributes to the greater good of the company. And, and I, I get that's a little bit, you know, I'm drilling down in. But at the end of the day, when everybody does know why we're doing what we're doing, it changes the whole culture that you're creating throughout your organization. So, I mean, we could go on and on, but that's my first swing at it as far as it's more than a statement. That's just not it at all. But when we have clarity around where we're going, what we do, who we are, and why we do it, um, then we can draw people to that. That's when magic happens. And, and, and um, Gino says it this way, literally, when everybody's rowing in the same direction, I mean, two plus two equals six. It just does. It's weird. Like, you know, 
I think the statement is the sum of the parts is greater than the whole or the whole of the parts is greater than the sum, whatever. Bottom line, two plus two equals six sometimes. And that alignment piece is where that happens. You can totally get the, that multiplier effect. You know, I think yeah. Yeah. whenever we go in or whenever we go in as partneronomics and we talk to executives and we talk about the importance of culture, it's really easy to get people to understand, agree. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. We want a better culture. Culture is so important. Yeah. But then almost in the same breath, we talk about, okay, so what are you trying to accomplish? Where are you trying to take this thing? What does it look like in 15 or 20 years? Yeah. We're, to, we're basically talking about in our language, vision, mission, core values, your purpose, those things. And then somehow those things seem to come across as soft or, you know, right. it's kind of not important, but, but we're all about culture. Well, to us, to me, it's the same thing. I mean, that, that's the kind of the, the basket that holds all of those components. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, was a, there was a study that was put out uh, about a year ago. I think it was by the McKinsey Group. There's a bunch of them out there, but they were talking about um, getting people vested. And the question was, is it about wages and paying them more? Or is it about getting them emotionally charged and emotionally engaged and really bought in to make a difference? And the overwhelming answer is people work for the emotional connection and having that purpose than they do for money. Absolutely. If, if, if I can keep you here by paying you more, I'll lose you when someone else pays you more than I'm willing to. I'm, I'm, you know, if I reward that behavior and, 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 and that's a culture, right? That is an active culture I'm creating. So yeah, and it's not soft, it's reality, right? If if I, if I, um, if it's clear, right, that, that whole piece, and you, you hit on this a little bit, I'll just I'll share this a little bit. In the EOS framework, um, culture is, we, we utilize the core values, right, to define that. And so a practical way of that, uh, of doing that, is that we say that we, you, you literally use them to hire, right? So you're, you're not, like I try to talk you out of coming to work for me, by telling you what our core values are. So, you know, hard work, it's one of our core values. So if you're kind of a work smart guy or gal and hard work, mm, you'd hate it here. You'll totally hate it here, don't even come, right? So I literally try to repel people because we've created a culture where it matters. And, and then I literally use them to help people off the bus, right? So, hey, you've exhibited over and over again, you don't really wanna live out these three core values of our five, right? And we've talked and talked and you kind of just screamed out loud, I don't really want to be here. And that's, that's part where we, we say we hire and fire. That's, that's that releasing them off the bus um, based on core values, because at the end of the day, they're not going to be happy here ever, right? They're going to have more fun somewhere else where they do fit. It's not about good or bad. Great person, wonderful person can just not exhibit the core values that, that you and I put together for our company, right? Um, the other one is then we just constantly are rewarding and recognizing. So whether it's good or bad, I'm calling it out right away. I'm praising in public. That's awesome. Judy, way to go on the score value. And then in private, I'm criticizing. Hey, Judy, let's go for a walk. Man, the way you had that conversation with a customer, just you dropped the ball. Let's, let's see if we can do that different next time. And so I'm doing that and, you know, and then we use them in our reviews, right? Hey, every, 
you know, we're having conversations constantly about them. Uh, you know, I like to joke about this and people say we put our core values on the wall and we put them on our t-shirts and put them on our coffee mugs. And I'm like, that's great, but that's uh, what we call icing on the cake, right? If the cake isn't there, then don't do that, right? First, you need to talk about them daily and you need to walk them out. And this comes down to the leadership team. I start right there and I literally evaluate the leadership team. And if they create core values, right, that are aspirational, I'm kind of like, you know what? You just graded yourselves that you, none of you are doing this one core value very well. Don't do it. Everybody will laugh at you if you say that's a core value. So let's, let's, let's uncover the things that are really here already. Let's discover them. I kind of went off on that, sorry, but that's part of that vision where, who are we? And it's defined by the core values. And I hope that helps folks, um, you know, just that's how you create culture, right? I, I can't create culture by talking about culture. I need to go, hey, these are the activities and actions that we got to live out daily. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that was, that was perfect, Mike. That was a great segue into what I want to chat with you about next is just this topic of teams. Um, but you mentioned kind of hiring and firing and getting the, the right people on the right bus, so to speak, right? The, the good to yes. great. Um, what kind of advice would you have to, let's say not, not the executive team, which I know you work a lot with, but let's say like at a, at a manager level or department lead level, when it comes to teams and people and hiring and firing and management and accountability and those sorts of things, what kind of advice would you have to that person that's stepping into a new role into that, that management function where they're going to be leading a team? Well, <laughs> I'm a firm believer things rise and fall on leadership. So I have to go back and start with a leadership team. And I want to just point this out. This is kind of my discovery in the last couple of years of working with 30 uh, some companies and um, over, the, over the years. Uh, I used to think leadership team. Leadership team. That phrase is, is a contradiction, right? You and I are leaders, Mark. If we're sitting around a table, somebody throws a problem in the middle of the table, we're not going to go, hey, let's have a friendly conversation about how we should address that problem. You and I are going to just go for it. We're going to grab it and go, here's what you need to do. Okay, Mark, you do it. I'm just going to take control or you're going to take control. We're leaders. We sharpen our elbows and you know, we go get it done. So when you say leadership team and I bring a really sharp salesperson, a really sharp marketing person, a great operations person, a great finance person, a great uh, leader of all that team, I put them all in the room and they're all strong leaders and go now be a team. It doesn't happen naturally. We have to choose. And so we have to learn how to be collaborative, right? We need to learn how to be both highly assertive as well as highly cooperative. Right. So defined another way, um, highly cooperative is fighting really hard to understand your idea. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting to understand your idea. Highly assertive is fighting. So you understand my idea. And I'm using the word fight kind of on purpose. Let me be softer. So um, I'm seeking. I'm working hard to understand your idea. That's cooperative. Cooperative is not just being a doormat. It's, it's, it's seeking to understand. And then seeking to be understood or working to be understood is that assertive part. And so when we're working through that for the greater good of the organization, by the way, we, we checked ego at the door. So with that overarching greater good of the organization, we can sit there in that leadership team room behind closed doors, roll up our sleeves and do what I call good fighting. 
Be collaborative, have passionate debate. No, that's not gonna work. Why not? Tell me more. What I hear you saying, all this kind of great conversation, not for the sake of talking and not for the sake of me hearing myself speak or you hearing yourself speak, but for the greater good. We even say it this way, if you've said it twice, you're politicking. So don't say it again, right? You can ask for clarification. Anyway, sorry. So I need that leadership team to be cohesive and functional as opposed to dysfunctional and separated. So when we walk out of this leadership team room, there's no chink in the armor. As the leadership team goes, so goes the rest of the organization. So getting to your original question, if I'm a next level manager, right, stepping into this organization and I look up and I see dysfunction and lack of cohesion at a leadership level, I first got to ask myself, how can I lead up and influence that to get better? Otherwise, I'm not going to want to stay here long, right? So owners and big time leaders out there, did you hear what I just said? If you get a great leader, you hire in and you're living out dysfunction in front of them, they will not stay. That's why they're a great leader. You'll only get average to less than average leaders and managers if you're not doing this. And it's not easy. It takes work. Secondly, um, to that person that comes into that, hey, take it downstream, right? So live, walk the core values, right? With your team, um, be consistent, walk the talk, communicate, over-communicate, seek to understand, build collaboration in that team. Hey, um, we're going to have moments where I want feedback from you. What do you mean? You want our input? Management never listens to us. Yes, they do. Today, they do. I do. Tell me what your input is. Um, I, I hold the hammer at the end of the day. We're not going to do everything you want, like, you know, free licorice throughout the whole work shift. Um, but, uh, but we're going to, we're going to create that, that, that collaborative environment. So again, I, 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 I curveball my answer to you there, Mark. So, so go ahead and ask it again. If I didn't get at what you were looking at. No, um, you, you totally hit it. And something that I want to just put an exclamation mark on just so we make sure that we hear it. Cause we talk about it so much. What I hear you say, and uh, I couldn't agree more, it's embrace conflict. Conflict mm. itself is mm. neither good nor bad. Conflict right. is neutral, but it could either be productive or destructive. And that's where leadership comes through as to which path we go down. Right. Um, I remember you teaching that in one of the things that we were, I was listening to. So I learned, I remember that. Um, and I, you know, I championed that same thing. Um, Here's another thing for folks out there that say uh, they, they are conflict avoiders, right? So keep it in mind, keep in mind, sometimes when someone gets mature emotionally, right? And we get good at running toward conflict, right? Um, sometimes someone else will look at that and say, oh, they like to fight, right? Um, we don't want to be that. We don't want to disturb ascension for the sessions for the purpose of doing that. But um, the reason I, I say this because my wife says that to me. She's like, well, you just love to fight. I'm like, actually, I don't. I hate it. But I want to get to the other side quicker, right? I want to get to the other side. There's an opportunity for learning here. Either I misunderstood you, you misunderstood me, or we flat out just hurt each other. We just threw stones at each other. We did something goofy. We need to get beyond that to the other side. In that, we build trust. Like you said, it can be constructive. So I come to you hat in hand saying, Mark, man, yesterday I blew it. I mean, I should not have said half of what I said to you. Totally blew it. 
I'm hat in hand. You have an opportunity whether to forgive or not. And then we just, okay, let's unravel it again. Here's what got me fired up. Here's what you said. We are now being constructive, right? And we get to the other side of it quicker. I mean, the longer that, that, that we avoid it, the more in my mind I make up about what you're thinking or doing or said that's not true. And the same with you. So now as we're standing here and we're avoiding conflict, instead of just having one misunderstanding between us, it gets all fuzzy. There's a cloud of doom and gloom between us. And that's, that's ridiculous. You know, yeah. whether it's two guys having a beer together or it's, um, you know, two or three people sitting down and being open and honest, maybe with a mediator, uh, you know, whatever it takes to fight through that stuff. And that's absolutely not soft. It's literally people. So you, you mentioned earlier, EOS is an entrepreneurial operating system. It's an operating system. I call it a framework, right? For us to run our business using, um, you know, this is a little secret we don't typically say, but if you step back and look at it and, and for folks that have been working in this that I'm working with a year or a year and a half down the road, they start to look back and go, man, this almost always goes back to like, 80% of what we're dealing with goes back to people stuff. Like, well, that's because the people are the ones that do the processes. The people are the ones that take care of issues. The people are the ones that execute the vision. The people, people are, I'm going to say it, they're our biggest asset, right? Our biggest resource. Well, then let's give them a framework so they know what's expected of them. Um, so a big part of this framework of EOS, the tools, just like your framework, right, for the, um, the SPLM. Um, at the heart of all of that, it's giving people, yeah, there's tools, there's data, there's business stuff in there, but it's giving people clear direction on what their responsibilities are and how we work together and what expectations are. Yeah, it all, it all comes down to, it all comes down to people. That's what we say, you know, companies don't do business with companies, people do business with people. Right. It's all about people. <laughs> that's, that's where it starts and that's where it ends. Thank you so much for sharing all of these insights with us. You definitely dropped some nuggets out there for, uh, for us to consider and hopefully for us to put into our businesses to, to help us out. But thank you so much for your time. Look forward to watching you and watching you continue to grow your business as you help to grow other businesses. So thank hey, you. I, I appreciate that. Love to help. That's one of my core values is help first, right? How can I help? So thanks for having me on, Mark. I really appreciate it. Love talking about this and um, would love to help anybody else out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Partnernomics podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics podcast, visit partnernomics.com.